Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 155 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're doing well and hope you're having a fantastic day. So I'm a little sad about this episode because this will be the last episode of this particular podcast season. I'm actually going to take a little bit of a break in April and then come back to podcast episodes back in May. I think as STC grows and I start to do multiple things in my career. I've I've always tried to value self-care. I haven't always done it as well in practice, but I've tried intentionally to, as much as I can, to try to value self-care because I know that if not, I'm not functioning in my optimal self, either physically and mentally, then you know I'm not going to be able to serve you guys well. I'm not going to be able to be a good clinician, a good husband, a good uncle, and all of those different things. So when I do these last episodes, I always like to do something a little bit different with these episodes. And I was trying to think about what to do for this particular one. And as you guys may know, I love reading. I don't, it's like, I don't know, I genuinely like love books and I love learning. And when my brother and I were growing up, one of the things, one of my most favorite childhood memories was that my parents would take my brother and I to the library every single week and we would pick, you know, pick up books like Encyclopedia Brown and stuff like that. And as I've gotten to be an adult, uh, I just, I still love reading. And now I try to read somewhere between 12 and 24 books per year. Initially, what I was doing was I was reading like just, you know, books that you would get at the bookstore. And then I switched to kind of Kindle books. And more recently, I've switched to Audible because I just learned I'm I'm a very auditory learner and I also like the fact that you can go at two times the speed on Audible so you can uh, get quite a bit of reading done fairly fast. So if you guys are if you guys are curious, you can always check out the Selling the Couch resource page, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash resources just to learn the books, the whatever current book that I'm reading. Every once in a while, I read a book and it makes me pause and it's and I keep thinking to myself, oh, I totally need to share this with selling the Selling the Couch community and Selling the Couch listeners. And which brings me to today's episode. So I recently read a book called The Millionaire Next Door, The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy by Thomas J. Stanley and William D. Danko. And... As you guys know, for me, like I'm not of like the whole millionaire mindset, none of that kind of stuff, but I do feel like there's wisdom in learning how people 
generate wealth and how people accumulate wealth and then how people also protect their wealth. And because for me, you know, as you guys know, I'm the son of immigrant parents. My parents worked extremely hard. They were very frugal. And I'm so grateful for all of those lessons that they taught to me. But understandably, a lot of things around retirement and wealth building and all that stuff, you know, they were new immigrants. And so I can't fault them or anything like that. But we just never learned any of that stuff. And I definitely didn't learn any of that stuff in school. So I've always had this interest in personal finance. I don't know when it started, probably, I think, toward the end of grad school. And I don't know, there was like this season where actually, before I even started STC, I had thought about creating a personal finance blog for mental health providers. And now what I'm starting to slowly do is integrate some of that into the Selling the Couch blog. But I've always been interested in personal finance. And so today, I wanted to actually just share three kind of big lessons that I learned from this book. So just to give you a little background, basically what the authors did is they interviewed a bunch of different millionaires. And what they try to do is there's a bunch of like really nerdy data on there, but they, you know, had all these data points and stuff. And they try to figure out what the habits of these millionaires were, how they accumulated money, what professions they went toward. It's really pretty fascinating. But The book itself is fairly narrative, so it's not so dry. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and, I call him Dave, Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest, and honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know, and with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with. And Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told It impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that. And he comes from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download. And it's called The 7 Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So let's jump right into today's session. So so I wanted to share three things, but you guys know me, I'm a little bit overachiever, so I had a bonus one as well. But the three things I wanted to share is three key takeaways. The first key takeaways, I'm going to share the takeaways and then I'll go a little deep into them because I know that sometimes you guys like to write things down. So the first one is we need to think both offensively and defensively when it comes to our income. The second thing is most millionaires don't live the lifestyle or the consumption patterns we think they do. And the next one is that millionaire parents don't provide economic outpatient care for their children. And then my bonus tip is one of the key things that these researchers found is that millionaires actually selected certain professions 
And I was like, when I started reading that chapter, I was a little surprised. I think you will be as well. So let's get right to that first point. The first point is we need to think both offensively and defensively when it comes to income. So I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, my whole understanding of wealth and having an income is all about offensive mindedness, right? So I need to create income channels and it would be ideal if I could create multiple income channels. So basically I need to do what I can to generate the most amount of income possible. Now, to be honest, I had thought about it, this other thing I'm going to mention right now, but I never fully grasped it until I read this book. And so what the authors say is that a lot of millionaires, they think offensively, definitely, but they also think defensively. And in fact, they actually put more of an emphasis on defensively. So basically, what we want to do is we want to figure out legal ways to minimize the taxes that we pay. So some of the options, um, there was a recent conversation in the in the STC community and just all about retirement and people had just a, a range of different things that they were doing. So there's a, at some point, maybe I'll create sort of a, a separate episode on what I've learned when it comes to retirement and funding and stuff. But just some of the options offhand is if you have something called a Roth IRA. So if you generally, if you see the word Roth in front of something that basically means that you put in money and you pay tax on that money up front, but then the money grows tax-free. And so when you withdraw it, you actually don't get taxed on it. So especially if you are quite a few years from retirement, there's a lot of advantages to, to doing Roths. So there's the Roth IRA, there's if you're a business owner, of course, so there's things like the SEP IRA, and then one that I'm looking at and likely going to be starting investing into, which is called an individual 401k. So this is if you're a sole proprietor, for example, there's even something called an HSA, a health savings account. So if you have a high deductible on the insurance in the uh, on the health insurance that you carry, you can actually put money aside in a health savings account. And the really nice thing is that it counts as, I mean, definitely check with the qualified expert because I don't play one on a podcast. But the way when I'm recording this right now, one of the nice things with an HSA is that it grows, uh, you can put in money and it's tax free and it grows tax free. And then when you withdraw, it's tax free. The only thing is that money has to be used for health related expenses. So, but it's a pretty cool vehicle. And then the nice thing is whatever money you contribute can actually lower the total taxes that you pay. So the second point is most millionaires don't live the lifestyle or have the consumption patterns that we think they do. So the authors found a couple of like pretty key and interesting things. And so one is they found that the majority of millionaires live below their means and they're very frugal when it comes to their spending. So really they think and they budget and they plan. I mean, I think for me, for the longest time, words like budgeting, like absolutely terrified me, but it was interesting to read that because here were people that were actually accumulating quite a bit of money, but they were just very judicious in how they spent their money. Now, the way that I read it and the way that I believe the authors are saying it is, it's not that millionaires are stingy with their money. It's more that they realize the hard work they put in to generate this money, and they're just very judicious in, in terms of what they spend it on and how they spend it and all of those different things. The second thing is that millionaires are willing to pay for quality, but not for image. I feel like this is, even when I've looked at online communities, 
I feel like we even as a field struggle with this, right? So it's all about generating the six-figure practice. It's about, you know, doing such and such in your business. Like, and so there is this, all this emphasis on wealth generation that I think that it's very easy, even in our field, to just focus on image and what our colleagues are doing and all of those things. So it's interesting seeing what sometimes happens in our field and then reading this little piece of information that millionaires are willing to pay for quality, but not for image. And then the next kind of interesting point is I know that many of us commute to our offices, to our workplaces. So there was an interesting point in there about buying cars. And so they basically said when it comes to buying cars, they make a sound investment and then they keep the car for years. And during a, just sort of a little side story, during my internship year, I was very fortunate to be able to take Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which if you haven't taken that class or haven't heard of it, I highly recommend that you check it out because for me, I think it was a good, stable like financial understanding. or It helped to break down personal finance and investing and budgeting and stuff in a way that was easy to understand. But when I took this class, I was also connected with a mentor. This is someone that had gone through the through the class. And I was very fortunate because this mentor also happened to be like incorporated a lot of like things that we're talking about. And they were actually very close to being a millionaire. And it was just interesting to kind of hear what he said about cars. So he basically said, you know, for him and his family, it was basically that a car is a place to get is a way to get from point A to point B. It's not really a status symbol. And so when he told me that I'm sitting here looking at my Toyota Solara sport coupe, right? So that I bought back in 2004. But I was like, you know, and at that moment, I didn't have the wisdom of, you know, I was a 22 year old kid, right, who coming out of college, and I was just like, I want the cool car, but I didn't think practically, right? Like, it would have been really smart to get a four door car just for the future. But it was just interesting to hear that. So the book actually goes into a lot of interesting things around, like what sort of car brands give the most bang for the buck in terms of mileage and stuff like that. And then one of the final things related to this point of that millionaires don't live the lifestyle or the consumption patterns that we do is that millionaires actually tend to live in more middle-class neighborhoods in order to avoid keeping up with the Joneses or the Varghese's. I don't know why I wanted to say that, but I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was just such an interesting way of thinking about it, right? So that the neighborhoods that we live in, that they can dictate our consumption style. And even, you know, some neighborhoods have things like HOA fees and things like that. So a lot of stuff that I was really starting to think about. So third big point is that millionaire parents don't provide economic outpatient care. So to be completely honest, this one was a really tough one for me to understand. And it's still that one that I'm, I'm kind of working through. And what the authors found in their studies was that most millionaires are not financially supported by their parents. And in fact, they model the same pattern to their children. For example, like there was like one piece of tip that will always like resonate with me. So they basically said that millionaires don't really disclose how much wealth they have to their children, especially when they're younger, because it sets them up with certain expectations, and it can potentially impact 
how their own sweat equity and, and the hard work that they're willing to put in. So just thought that was such an interesting way of looking at it. And there was a couple of stories in there. And I think one like particular story of how these parents, in order to show love to their kids, were like giving like several thousand dollars to their kids a month. And but when the parents passed away, that income wasn't there anymore. And now these kids had this sort of lifestyle that they were clearly couldn't be affording. And so it was just a lot for me to sort of think about. So and then the bonus tip that I wanted to share is that one of the key things they found was that millionaires chose the right profession. What was really interesting was, so you would think like maybe that they were, you know, in the medical field, or they were like engineers or or accountants or something like that. So What was interesting was, and this is a line from there, was self-employed people are four times more likely to become millionaires, which is pretty cool. So for many of us, right, so that are listening to this podcast, and I just thought that's such an interesting little nugget. But what they found is it's actually not profession dependent necessarily, but it is more of these other sort of lifestyle choices that they make. Now, there was actually this side little nugget that I wanted to share, which is interesting for each of us as we think about niches and the services that we we provide. And the authors were arguing that, you know, especially as baby boomers and subsequent generations start to live a lot longer, there's going to be more demand for products and services that cater to that population. And the authors specifically actually mentioned counselors and psychologists as an area where there is a lot of demand. So you can think about, for example, like working, you know, having a private practice that mainly works with the elderly or elderly caregivers or something like that, right? So that chapter in itself is one definitely to listen to and uh, to kind of get your brain jogging on, on some of the ways that this might be applicable. So Again, the three tips plus the bonus tip is we need to think both offensively and defensively when it comes to income. Two is that most millionaires don't live the lifestyle or the consumption patterns we think they do. Number three is that millionaire parents don't provide economic outpatient care. And the bonus tip is one of the key things that they found was that millionaires chose the right profession. So hope you guys found this episode helpful. Before I sign off, I just wanted to say thank you so much for continuing to listen to the podcast. I know I'm coming emotional, but as I do more of these episodes, there was always a part of me, I didn't know how far I could go with this podcast. And even at the beginning, I know that, you know, some folks who I know were well-meaning, they were like, how many topics can you have on, on a podcast like this? And I was pretty scared of that. And it's been cool. It's been cool. I think it's been neat and just cool and humbling to see some of the topics that I've been able to have conversations about and just the amazing people I've been able to connect with. And I'm so grateful to each of you for taking the time to listen. I believe when this around when this episode will be released, the STC podcast will pass a half a million downloads, which is crazy for a tiny little podcast that I still record in a in a room in my house. So thank you. And I will see you in a month. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session.
So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Turning Point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and uh, I will see you in a month or so. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.